0: Let's go ahead and get to the sermon now this morning. This is our fourth sermon in a series of eight sermons about worship. I've heard a lot of good comments. You guys are excited about learning about worship, and that's great. First of all, let's go ahead and define worship, which we've done before, just to get it in our head. What is worship? What does it mean to worship God? Worship is our response to God. More than that, worship is our reverent and grateful response to that. To God, More than that, a full, little fuller definition, worship is our reverent and grateful response to God that seeks to honor and joy Him for His great attributes and good gifts. I love that definition. It's thoroughly biblical, and it's exciting, and that's what worship is. It's our, but at the core, worship is our response to God. And we're going to be especially talking about this question this morning when it comes to worship. The question is this, how can we prepare our hearts for wholehearted worship? If we really want to worship God with all of our heart, how can we get ready for that so that our worship pleases Him? How can we prepare our hearts? Well, first of all, let's remind ourselves what wholehearted worship is. That is what God wants from us. Second Chronicles 31.29 talks about wholehearted worship. 3121, do we have that? Yes. Talking about King Hezekiah. He was a good king of the kingdom of Judah around 700 BC. And it says this about Hezekiah in everything he undertook in the service of God's temple, he saw it as God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. What's embedded in these verses is that Hezekiah. Um, He had bad kings before him. He was now a good king who wanted to help the people worship God properly in the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted them to wholeheartedly worship the Lord. He wanted to wholeheartedly worship the Lord. And so that's how he worked at that, wholeheartedly getting people to the place where they could wholeheartedly worship the king of the universe. So this was true of Hezekiah. God wants it to be true of us. He wants us to be wholehearted in our worship of him. And it's true just in general. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 13, God says this to us. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All of your heart. So whether it's worship or us following Christ in general, he wants us to do it in a wholehearted way. So... Let's talk a little bit more about what exactly it means to be wholehearted in our worship before we talk about preparing for that. To worship God wholeheartedly means this, to put all of our focus and enthusiasm into it, to put all of our focus and enthusiasm into worshiping the Lord, to not be half-hearted. See, whatever, whatever we deem as important is what we Are enthusiastic about isn't that true whatever we think is important we're enthusiastic about that comes out in Matthew 26 um, or excuse me Matthew 6 where it talks about where your treasure is what's important to you that's where your heart will be that's what you'll be enthusiastic about so think about a typical week what do you get excited about and is it above all the Lord What excites you? Yeah, we're kind of excited about the Super Bowl. Fine. Do we get that excited about the Lord? So let's worship the Lord with all of our heart, with focus and enthusiasm, and not be half-hearted. And we know what half-heartedness looks like, don't we? You ever ask your kids to clean their room? Do they normally go, ah, thank you so much, Mom and Dad, for asking me to clean my room. I'm focused. I'm so enthusiastic. I'm going to go do it right now. If any of your kids have ever done that, I mean, see if they're sick or something. It's just not normal. Instead, what we get oftentimes when we ask kids or even grandkids to do something, like clean a room, it's like, oh, all right, all right. In other words, they're, they're distracted. They're not excited about it. Let's be different in how we approach the Lord. Let's be wholehearted. Let's be focused and enthusiastic in the way we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. When my son Ross was a marine captain in San Diego, he worked at Camp Pendleton, a marine base there. And since he was a captain, a lot of the people that he would run across on base were lower ranked than him, a lot of privates and lieutenants and sergeants and so forth. And so he got saluted a lot, but I would imagine there wasn't always great enthusiasm. You know, they got tired of saluting everybody ranked higher than them, and probably a lot of half-hearted salutes. But one day, While Ross was walking at Camp Pendleton, suddenly this private ran up to him and and began enthusiastically hugging him. And at first he's going, man, what is going on here? Well, before he could say a thing or see who it was, this sergeant, a Marine sergeant who was nearby, ran up and began chewing out this private in an angry way. How dare you hug a captain? You're just a private. That's totally inappropriate. What are you doing? Ross saw who was hugging him and said this to the sergeant. Sergeant, forgive this young man. He's my nephew, Michael, and he's just arrived here from Iowa, so please forgive him. Well, the sergeant backed off, of course. But the point is, Michael was so excited to see Ross that he was enthusiastically hugging him. He didn't care about the rules. He didn't care. All he was focused on is he saw this person he loved and he wanted to enthusiastically show his love for him. That should be our attitude toward the Lord, shouldn't it? We should be so excited to have the opportunity to spend time with him, whether it's in devotions at home, whether it's here in a church service together. We have this one that we love. We have this one who's loved us better than anyone else who died for us on the cross, and he's the king of the whole universe. Let's let that those important facts help us be excited about worshiping the Lord with all of our heart. So we've seen a little bit about that, what it means to, that we need to worship the Lord wholeheartedly. We've seen a little bit about what it means. And now for the rest of our time together, Let's go ahead and talk about how do we prepare our hearts for wholehearted worship. How do we get our hearts ready to praise Him with all of our heart? And and by the way, we do need to prepare to worship the Lord because it just doesn't come easily in this lifetime. There's so many distractions around us. TV, computers, phones, and everything else in the world. And it's, we're struggling with stuff in our heart, too. Sins and hurts, and we're struggling with a lot at the same time. And it really is hard to come to the place each day like the Lord deserves to wholeheartedly worship Him. So how do we prepare to do that? Well, one way is this. Let's think about the Lord's glory and great attributes every day. Let's think about his glory and great attributes every day. If, if worship is defined as a reverent and grateful response to what? God's great attributes. Then a starting place each day would be, first of all, start to think, all right, Lord, help me remember what's true about you, how great you are, some of your great attributes. And Lord, help me above all remember that Jesus died on the cross for me. Jesus demonstrated the great attribute of love by doing something no one else has ever done, dying for me on the cross. Lord, help me start with that this day. Help me start with the cross and remember your glory and great attributes. So that's one way to prepare our hearts that day. There's a second way. Don't let the hurts from our past hold us back. Don't let the hurts from our past hold us back. We mentioned that good Hezekiah of Judah uh, worshiped the Lord with all his heart. But we also, what's also true about him is King Hezekiah suffered a lot uh, before that. Before he became king, he suffered a lot in his past. There was hurts in his past that threatened to hold him back. What was his past? Well, his father was one of the most evil kings of Israel that Israel ever had, King Ahaz. And in Second Chronicles 29, excuse me, 2 Chronicles 28, verses 1 through 3, It talks about how evil King Ahaz was, the father of Hezekiah. It says this, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 16 years. Unlike David, his father, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He followed the ways of the kings of Israel and also made idols for worshiping the Baals. He burned sacrifices in the valley of ben Hinnon and sacrificed his children in the fire, engaging in detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Can you imagine what it would have been like for King Hezekiah when he was growing up, when he was just a boy. He had an evil father who was sacrificing many of Hezekiah's siblings in the fire. And when they did that, the kids would have been burned alive. Can you imagine having a father that way? A father like that? And not only that, it makes sense probably that King Ahaz would have been forcing Hezekiah to worship false gods. Hezekiah probably didn't want to, but he was forced by his father. The point is this. King Hezekiah had a lot of hurts in his past. And it would have been easy with that kind of a past to let those hurts cause him to shut down and not become the wholehearted worshiper of God that he became later. But he didn't let the hurts from the past hold him back, did he? Some of us in this room might have some hurts in our heart from the past Some of us may have had a mom or a dad or other people in our life that were cruel or mean to us in some way, and there's still some of that hurt sitting in our heart. We have unresolved hurts there. And what's easy to do when we have unresolved hurts in our heart, it's easy to become kind of a closed, cautious person to protect our heart so it doesn't get hurt again. And when we're that kind of person... What does that do to our worship? Our worship becomes more closed and cautious. Hurts from our past that are holding us back. So, let's talk about what to do about that. First of all, I think God would want us to maybe make a list of those hurts. God, which things from the past, we've all been hurt a lot, but God, which things from the past do you want me to remember? that are maybe still sitting in there. So make a list of those. Second of all, know that as we take those to the Lord, then he promises to comfort them in Matthew, 20, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they should be comforted. And third, let's talk to somebody about those things. Let's pick a good, loving, wise friend to talk about what we've been through. They can tell us about their life. And if necessary, then let's also visit a Christian counselor. I can help you find one if you want. Um, or I can do it. But either way, let's, if we need to go to a wise Christian counselor, there is no shame in that. But the point is, let's do whatever it takes to stop being such a closed, cautious person or even an angry person. It's easy to get angry about the hurts of the past. Whatever the case, let's do whatever it takes to reject those things. And instead, remember what's true about us, that the king of the universe, if we've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, loves us, we're beloved children of the king of the universe. He thinks we're special. And we can go from there. Unfortunately, working against us is Satan in the world. Satan in the world loves to tell us lies. John 8 44 says that Satan is a liar, and many in the world follow him on that. And they may tell us lies as we are growing up and even in our adult years. It can be, it can be lies like this Oh, the people in your past, the reason that they hurt you is because you're a loser. Or, why are you letting your heart be excited about the Lord or about other things? Don't you know that when you get excited about things like that, it makes you look foolish? Many of us are afraid of looking foolish. Time to put that away. The Lord's more important. Or I've been around ladies who talk about their hurts of the past where they've heard and believe lies like, you're really not very pretty. You're really pretty ugly. And women believe that and it sits in their heart and it hurts their relationship with Christ and others. Or to men, Satan may whisper, we might believe this lie. You know what? You're really kind of a wimp. You're not very courageous. You're not very strong. And so we hear those lies. We're not even conscious that we're believing them, but we start to believe them. It weighs down our heart, and it keeps us from worshiping the Lord in a wholehearted way with joy and freedom in our heart. Well, it's time to get rid of those lies, to become aware of them, reject them and replace them with the truth that we are beloved children of the king. Well, let's move on. There's a third way we can prepare our hearts for worship, especially wholehearted worship, and that is let's cleanse our hearts of sin. Let's cleanse our hearts of sin. We see in 2 Chronicles 29, 3 through 5, it's talking about Hezekiah, and this whole chapter is talking about he's trying to get the people in Jerusalem ready to rededicate the temple to the Lord, to worship the Lord in a wholehearted way. And to do that, he wants them to get ready to worship the Lord in a wholehearted way to prepare themselves to do that. And so this is what it says in 29, 3 through 5. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he, that is Hezekiah, opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. So let's talk about a couple of these words and phrases here. First of all, let's talk about the phrase remove all defilement. That's the NIV version. Defilement here, this is really an ugly word. It refers to filth. We don't often use that word, do we? But this is saying the sins that had been committed under previous kings in Jerusalem as people were doing false worship, their false worship, the things they let get in the way of truly praising God like he deserved, God calls them filth. I don't know about you, but that's a new way of thinking about sin in our lives. Sometimes we think, oh, you know, my sin's not too bad. Well, let's start thinking of it as filth. That that might help us a little bit more realize how serious sin is in God's eyes and that we need to do something about it. We need to cleanse it out of our lives. And part of that cleansing involves confessing it to God, asking him to help us grieve over it and then turning from it. And as we do that, as we confess, as we repent, God promises we'll be forgiven of it. Forgiven in the sense that our sin won't stand in the way between us and God. When we we first receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, we're forgiven in the sense that we are going to heaven, and nothing can change that if we've truly received him as Savior and Lord. But then, as a Christian, we sin, and our sins get in the way of us really enjoying a relationship with God, really worshiping him in a wholehearted way, so we still need to confess our sin as Christians so we can clear away the sins that get in the way of worshiping him. And then, in that sense, we become forgiven each day as we do that so we need to keep up with that each day cleansing our sin now at this point some of you might be saying now wait a minute time out scott you talked about this passage talks about hezekiah cleansing the temple and then you're kind of talking about cleansing our hearts as an application of that are you sure that's the right application yeah i am let me tell you how in scripture, in fact, last week Matt talked about how our bodies are now the tabernacle or temple of the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle or temple was a place where God's presence resided, the Holy Spirit resided, God dwelt there. And now our hearts in the New Testament are called the temple of God in places like, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 6:19. So let me take that a step further. Our our body is the temple but the holy of holies the inner room of the temple you know what that was the throne room of the king the throne room of the king first samuel 4:4 4, 4 talks about the holy of holies being the throne room first corinthians 28:2 talks about the ark that was in the throne room being the footstool of the king Footstool, God in that Holy of Holies is invisibly on his throne. The Holy of Holies was the throne room of the king of the universe. That's where, that was his dwelling place. But then he, Ephesians 3.17 says something amazing. Christ dwells in our hearts. Christ means king. I believe the New Testament is teaching that our heart is now the throne room of the king of the universe. And if that doesn't motivate us to prepare our hearts for worship, I mean, check your pulse, okay? Um, there's, you're in big trouble. Our heart, do you hear what I said? Our heart, it's okay to say praise the Lord after this. Our heart is the throne room of the king of the universe. The thank you. I know I had to force it out of you a little bit, but thank you for still doing it. It's an amazing thought. Ponder that. What an amazing thing. Our heart is the throne room of the king. And that should inspire us to cleanse our hearts, to make it as clean and fitting for him as possible, fitting for a king. And while we're talking about cleansing, let me just mention this. It might be a little bit of a rabbit trail, but I think it applies. Plus, it's a pet peeve of mine, okay? So bear with me for a second. While we're cleansing our hearts, let's also make sure and cleanse the songs we sing, the worship songs we sing. Let's make sure that we're only singing worship songs whose words honor the Lord and really accurately depict His glory and greatness. There's a certain worship song. I'll give you one example. There's some worship songs that just drive me a little nuts, all right, that are Christian songs, but their words I don't think are totally befitting of a king, King Jesus, Here's one up here now. I I tried to protect the author and and whatever. If this is one of your favorite songs, then come talk to me later. Uh, Here's the words from a certain Christian worship song I found recently. I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I'm so in love with you. The simplest of all love songs I want to bring to you. I don't know about you, but this sounds to me more like Jesus is our boyfriend okay? Jesus is not our boyfriend. Jesus is the great I am. Jesus is the king of king and lord of lords. Jesus is the prince of peace, the almighty God, the lion of Judah. He's not our boyfriend. He's the great king. And let's make sure the words we sing accurately reflect his glory and greatness as the king of the universe. Enough said. Let's make sure our songs are clean. The ones we sing at home, too, that, you know, if a tune is really good, it's easy to get into it, but let's also, now wait a minute, are these words accurate to who you are, Lord? Are these words pleasing to you? Let's make sure of that. And kids, when you're listening to a secular song too, nothing wrong with good secular music, make sure that the words honor the Lord Jesus Christ before they get too deep down into your heart. So let's cleanse our hearts for the Lord, for worshiping him, and that's a way to prepare our hearts for whole hearted worship well there's a fourth way we can prepare our hearts for worship to get ready to wholeheartedly praise him and that is this let's commit ourselves to him let's commit ourselves to him in second chronicles 29 5 uh, hezekiah was talking to the levites and people consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the lord The meaning of the word consecrate here means to set apart our hearts and our lives for God's purposes, to be used for his purposes above all else, nothing else. That's what the word consecrate here means. And we have learned, we learned throughout this chapter, chapter 29, but we've learned about worship so far that this idea of consecrate, this idea of commit ourselves to the Lord is a critical part of worship. When the uh, Israelites did at the uh, Tabernacle and Temple, when they offered burnt offerings to the Lord, we've learned that the meaning behind a burnt offering, as they totally burned it up, meant that that worshiper was totally surrendering himself or herself to the Lord. It means total commitment, total surrender of our hearts to the Lord. That's a beautiful thing in God's eyes when we come to that point of surrendering and committing to him. So, before we move on, what are some ways that we can commit our hearts to the Lord and preparing them for worship? Well, there's many ways. Ask the Lord about this later. Regular attendance at worship services really a way to commit ourselves to something is to regularly do it even when it's not easy. Regular attendance at worship services, yes, we know there's times you can't make it, God understands that, but regular attendance at worship services would be a part of committing ourselves to the Lord. Having regular devotional times at home, getting into the word and praying then and praising the Lord and having regular worship at home as a way of committing ourselves to the Lord. Continually each day thinking of his glory and then praising him for it. We've talked about that in the past. And then confessing sins in our heart and remembering that because Jesus died for us, we are forgiven. We are forgiven. So those are some ways to commit ourselves to the Lord. And above all, it has to start in the heart. And if our heart is not excited about doing, worshiping God, committing ourselves to him in those ways, then let's say, God, show me what's wrong with my heart. What's getting in the way of my heart, being excited about you, of preparing my heart to worship you, of committing myself to worship you. All right. Let's uh, move to the fifth and final way. Or no, we got two left. I know you're extra excited. Not one, we got two left, but we'll get there. These are important. There's a fifth way we can prepare our hearts for wholehearted worship. And I might get some people mad at me on this one. In fact, I'm gonna have Linda go out, start the car and be ready to whisk me away. So Linda, if you hear some murmuring, be ready to go out and start the car. Um, but, but let's hope that's not the case. A fifth way that we can prepare our hearts for worship is this. We need to be ready to break the rules. We need to be ready to break the rules. Oh, Scott, you've done it now. This is a church. We have rules. You're saying that we need to be ready to break some rules when we worship God? Oh, Scott. All right. Well, let me, before you uh, kick me out or anything, uh, let me first explain what I'm talking about because I think it's clearly in this passage in 2 Chronicles chapters 29 and 30. In these two chapters, there are three times that the Jews broke the rules in worshiping God. Hezekiah and the Jews, even though they were preparing the temple to worship God with all their heart, three times they broke rules. One time was this. 2 Chronicles 29, 34, only the priests were supposed to skin the animals for burnt offerings, but they didn't have enough priests, so they let some of the other Levites who weren't priests skin the animals and get them ready for worship. Ooh, they broke a rule. Second time they broke a rule in this, this, uh, these two chapters. Second, In chapter 30, verses 2 and 3, it says that Hezekiah and his people celebrated Passover in Jerusalem on, what? The second month of the year. Does anybody know when they were supposed to celebrate Passover? First month of the year. Very good. You get a cookie afterwards. That is exactly right. The rule said... You're to celebrate Passover on the first month of the year, but they broke that rule. Why would they do that? Because people throughout Israel were supposed to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, but people hadn't been used to doing that. They'd been used to living under ungodly kings, not coming to the Passover, and so to give them grace, to get them extra time to get to Jerusalem, celebrate the Passover, Hezekiah said, you know what? Let's let them come the second month instead. And he prayed that God would forgive them for that. God said, I will go for it. Second time in this passage, a rule was broken. And then one other time, uh, 2 Chronicles 30, 18 and 19. As the people came to celebrate Passover, they were supposed to first purify themselves in certain ways. But many of them didn't. They didn't know how. They didn't remember how. And Hezekiah and his leaders allowed them to still come and celebrate the Passover. Ooh, they broke a rule but it was okay in God's eyes because it was helping his people come to a place of being prepared to wholeheartedly worship him. All right, now for the dangerous part. How do we apply this to our lives? Are there rules we need to be ready to break? Uh, Linda, I think you really should go out and start the car now. Um, This is the part I could be in trouble. All right, first of all, let me make this clear. I am not saying that any in this New Testament age there are any clearer ways of worshiping God and living for him that we should break. For example, we're not going to say all of a sudden that it's okay for people who haven't received Christ yet to take communion. That's important rule, 1 Corinthians 11, important principle. No, we're not going to throw out rules and clear biblical rules. Maybe one way to think about it is this. Are there certain personal rules we have in our head that aren't necessary, that are getting in the way of our worship? Are there certain principles and rules from our past or whatever floating around in our mind of things we shouldn't do that really in the end are hampering our worship? Let me give you a couple of examples. Do any of us have it floating around in our head that if we are going to worship God in church and sing and we don't have a good voice, we better not sing too loud? Ooh, that's a rule. We don't want people to hear it. You know what? God doesn't care. We don't care. I don't care if you have the worst voice in the world. He doesn't even. Sing to the Lord with all of your heart, wholeheartedly, and he will be pleased. Let's get rid of that rule right away. Or another rule we may have is that During a worship service, we got to really be looking around us so that we don't do anything that everybody else is not doing at the exact same time. We better stand up right away when everybody's standing up. Sit down as soon as they sit down. We dare not fall on our knees and worship the Lord if nobody else is. That's a rule in our head. Bad rule. You come in with the whole heart to worship God. You sit down, stand up, and fall on the floor whatever you want to do as long as you don't knock anybody else over in the process. We don't care. God doesn't care. Let's not worry about what everybody else is doing, and then we have to do the exact same thing. Another rule, you have to pretend you're happy when you come to church to worship God. That's a terrible rule, because you know what I find a lot of people do? If they're struggling and not happy, they don't come to church that Sunday because they think, if I come to church to worship God, i got to look happy. No, you don't. If you're struggling that week with something in your heart, come anyway. We don't care if your face looks terrible, if you got bags under your eyes, you're looking terrible. Come be with us. We want to be with you. God wants to be with you whether you're feeling all happy or not. Let's break that rule. Let's come even when we're struggling so we can be together with the Lord. Maybe in another way what I'm saying is this. Let's follow the Holy Spirit in our worship. We got this strict way we think of worshiping God in our way and we can't break it. No. Let's follow the spirit of God. And if he puts in our head to suddenly kneel here in church, if he puts in our head when we're having devotions at home to suddenly fall on the floor and praise him, we've never done that before, let's do it. Let's let our hearts be free in a wholehearted way to worship him in the way that he deserves. Let me mention one other way that we can prepare our hearts for wholehearted worship before we start to close up. It's not in 2 Chronicles 29 or 30, but it's important. And it is this. Let's remember that our wholehearted worship gives joy to the Lord. We don't think that way, I don't think. Let's remember that our, if we worship the Lord with all our heart, it delights Him, it thrills His heart. Isn't that amazing to think that we can give the king of the universe who doesn't need a thing, we can give his heart joy. I think that can prepare us to worship the Lord in a more more wholehearted way. But you say, Scott, I haven't seen that in the Bible. Where is it? You got to prove it to me. Well, good. I'm glad you're saying that. One of the places we can prove that is in um, Leviticus. In Leviticus, then... Um, it talks about the Jews worshiping the Lord by offering burnt sacrifices and other sacrifices. In Leviticus 1 9, 13, 17, Leviticus chapter 3, 5, and 16, after each time they're offering these sacrifices to the Lord, they're worshiping the Lord. There's an interesting phrase it says that their worship was an aroma pleasing to the Lord their worship was an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Now that word pleasing, that's a big understatement. The word, when it says something in the Bible that it pleased the Lord, it really means he's thrilled. It gives him great joy, application to us when we wholeheartedly worship the Lord by surrendering to him and all the other things we've been learning about. He is thrilled. We have the opportunity and privilege of giving joy to the king of the universe. Well, we've been talking this morning about preparing our hearts for wholehearted worship to the Lord, getting our hearts ready to praise Him with all of our heart. And, you know, this preparation, preparing our hearts for worship isn't just a last-minute thing we do right before we get to church. All right, Lord, I'm about to church. Let me confess my sins. No, this is something we should do every day is keep our hearts prepared, keep our hearts ready. Because you know what? We never know when the Lord is going to show us his glory and greatness or we're going to suddenly remember it. And because of that, we need to be prepared all the time because the Lord could show his glory anytime, even in unexpected ways. Let me close with this true story that I heard about the Lord unexpectedly showing his glory and greatness to a youth group. This happened out in California several years ago. I talked to the man who was part of the church where the youth group was where this happened. This youth group every year was used to going out to this uh, retreat, beautiful retreat site in California along a lake, and they would have this great time for the weekend of skiing and swimming and all that. And what was cool too, they would invite several inner city kids to come with them who weren't part of a church, who didn't know the Lord yet. And you can imagine that these inner-city kids experienced having such a great time with this youth group. It opened their hearts up to the Lord, and many of them would be saved. Well, so the weekend came when this youth group was to enjoy this great weekend together, this retreat. And they heard that the, the, the weather was going to be fine and all that, so they were all, all excited. However, the Friday night when they got there, the weather wasn't great. In fact, it was super windy. It was hard to even go outside and stand up straight. It was super windy, and they saw and heard from the weatherman that the forecast had changed, that, the, that it was going to be super windy for the rest of that weekend. Well, they all went to the cafeteria on that Friday night and sat there, and they were discouraged. And finally, there was a group of the youth leaders sitting there at a table, And finally, at some point, this sweet little 13-year-old gal walked up to the youth leaders and asked them this question. Can God stop the wind? Can God stop the wind? Well, the leaders, well, of course, he can stop the wind. He's all-powerful, but wow, it's going to be, it's really terrible out, I know, and I'm sorry you're discouraged. AND SHE SAID, WELL, IF HE CAN STOP THE WIND, THEN LET'S PRAY. SO THE YOUTH LEADERS GOT THE ATTENTION OF ALL THE YOUTH IN THIS CAFETERIA, AND THEY HAD THE LITTLE GIRL LEAD THEM IN THIS HEARTFELT PRAYER. LORD, WE ARE SO DISCOURAGED. WE HAVE WORKED SO HARD. To prepare to come to this retreat with friends from the inner city, and we wanted to swim and boat and just have a great time together. But Lord, this wind is wrecking our weekend. Please, Lord, can you stop the wind? Well, everybody went to bed that night, and I'm sure many were thinking, oh, this was nice. This 13 year old girl prayed this nice little prayer, but they didn't really expect much to happen. And so they all went to bed, and at about 6 in the morning, they heard the shout, shouts in the camp, and it was the little girl shouting out, God, stop the wind! God, stop the wind! And they looked out, and they saw that the weather was calm. God had stopped the wind. Now, I don't know about you, but I think think many of us at some point in our life through discouragement, we stop believing that God can do miracles. We stop believing that God can demonstrate his glory in some amazing ways in our life, big ways and small ways. Well, we need to start believing just the opposite. We need to believe that God will do what's best and is able to do what's best and will do what's best. We need to start believing that God is able. We need to start believing that our God can stop the wind.